Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you on this Wednesday, October the 21st of 2020. And we'd like to welcome all of our listeners that are tuning in from wherever you're tuning in from. We thank God uh, for the privilege and the honor uh, that we have to be able to study the Word of God together. We know that something, uh, it's the Holy Spirit who is drawing us together for such a time like this. We have been in a tremendous journey. We now find ourselves in the middle of the week uh, on this Wednesday, and we are slowly but surely making our ways into Athens. Amen. But I think it's been beautiful the way the Holy Spirit has been speaking to us, you know, and, and, and looking at small, not just the big details, sometimes the smallest details that we find in the Word of God are some of the most important ones. They are the catalysts for the big events that we see and things that happen in the Word of God. And God has been showing us and and the dealings of how the church in the book of Acts began. And we are so excited today. I know God has something fresh and new for us today. So have your Bible ready. Have your ears open. Have your spirit ready as we study the Word of God together. Today in our panel, we have Brother Marty and Brother Fernando, as always, joining us. And uh, we thank God for that privilege and honor that he gives us to study the Word of God together. So, Brother Marty, as we continue in our journey in the book of Acts, we'll leave it to you uh, to share what God has placed on your heart for this Wednesday as we study the Word of God together. Amen. We're looking forward to today's podcast. This is our ninth podcast in the series, Paul in Athens. We're journeying to Athens. We intended to just originally uh, look at at the particular message that Paul preached when he was in Athens uh, in, in Acts chapter 17, but, but the Holy Spirit directed us, we believe, and we say such things humbly, of course, uh, and, and took us all the way to the beginning of the book. And we've been taking our journey, and we have uh, come uh, through 16 chapters of the book of Acts. Like we said, we haven't been doing an exhaustive uh, commentary on it, but we are uh, we are at least being directed to look at some some very important things we believe uh, to help uh, give us an appreciation for uh, the the actual growth and founding of the Church of Jesus Christ, His vessels and servants, the events that shaped uh, history, really and out of which emerged uh, what we hold in our hand today, which is the uh, the completed revelation of God we call the Holy Bible. Most of what was done in the book of Acts uh, central uh, centers around the great apostle Paul, who would become the Gentile, uh, the, the apostle to the Gentiles. And if it wasn't for the work that God did in his heart, we probably wouldn't have, uh, we wouldn't be sitting here today talking about the Lord. So we've seen the great working of the Holy Spirit as the Lord sent him into the earth and, and his, his mission uh, to guard and protect uh, the fragile beginnings of, of the church of, of Jesus Christ. And he, he, has, he has, through the years, uh, caused that church to endure over 2,000 years. And what we've been looking at is incredible, and, and we pray that as we continue today, uh, that you'll join with us uh, with the Word of God. And uh, and 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 be blessed as we continue to explore Paul's journey to Athens. We're going to begin our study today uh, by reading 
uh, Acts chapter 16, and starting with verse 9. So, Brother Jeremy, would you please read to us Acts 16, verse 9, as we begin our discussion today, and we pray the, that you will be blessed, uh, those that are listening now, those that have just joined us, and those that will listen in the future. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Brother Jeremy. Amen. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Incredible. As we are continuing in our Paul in Athens series, uh, yesterday we explored the leading of the Holy Spirit, how he leads, and and the most vital importance of being familiar, familiar with and and over time increasing in our ability to both hear and obey his voice. And we talked about the necessity, especially in our times as the world has completely changed. If it hasn't dawned on you yet, <laughs> uh, this is in our grandmother's world. This is a whole new <laughs> world that is starting. And, it, and, and, and the world has shifted. And it is, it's almost as if a wind is blowing across the planet, moving it in a direction. And we believe quite certainly, uh, and more emphatically probably than ever in our lives, that it's quite possible that we have indeed entered into those prophetic scriptures that have been foretold uh, by the prophets of old uh, for thousands of years. And, and, and we are now witnessing uh, the beginnings of those prophecies being fulfilled. And so it's vital now more than ever that we hearken to the voice of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is speaking to the churches. As a matter of fact, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, as it's written, in its opening chapters, when uh, the Apostle John records what was dictated to him uh, by, the, by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, many, many times at the conclusion of, of, of his revelation of the seven churches of Asia Minor, he always said this, he that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so it's it's vital that the church hear what the voice of the Spirit is saying here in our nation and around the world. And so that's what we began uh, to discuss yesterday in yesterday's podcast was the the importance of, of growing uh, in, in our ability to both hear and to obey his voice. And, and, the, and, and that there are, as we talked about yesterday, when the Spirit of God is really speaking, many times what he does is he bypasses logic in a sense that, you know, we can't lean to our own understanding all the time, that he will give you that inward witness and, and that nudging on the inside, uh, and, and, and that it's, it's vital to, to obey that. But to obey that requires faith. And we were told by Jesus that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days just prior to the coming of the Son of Man. And when you when you examine Father Noah and, and he emerges in the in the great hall of fame, as they call it, of faith in the book of Hebrews, it says there that he that comes to God must first believe that he is. That's that's faith, that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And then it goes on to say, by faith, Father Noah being warned of God. Uh, moved with reverence and fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. So 
it is vital in the last days that we listen to the Spirit of the Lord. And as it was in the days of Noah, when God warned Noah by his presence, by his Holy Spirit, what was what was not yet fully seen in his time, yet he knew and was moved by the Spirit to understand that the end of his era, the end of that phase of human history had arrived. And so he moved accordingly as the Lord instructed him. And, and so the ability to both hear and obey his voice is more vital now than ever before. And, you know, as we discussed yesterday, Paul was, was beginning his second missionary journey, as we saw in chapter 15. And there was a great division that occurred between the Apostle Paul and Barnabas over whether or not uh, on this second missionary journey uh, that Paul wanted to take, that they should take the young man, uh, Mark, John Mark. Um, Paul uh, wanted nothing to do with that idea uh, because of a previous incident in their first missionary journey when Mark left the mission field. It was all too much for him, and he went back to his home, to his to his mom's house in, in Jerusalem. So three years later, when Paul was getting ready to take his second missionary journey with Barnabas, Barnabas, uh, who had brought Mark with him again after they went to the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, decides that he wants to take Mark with them on the second missionary journey. And as we've been studying, that's where uh, the division took place. And the result of that division was after years of a close and and, and very fruitful and productive fellowship between Paul and Barnabas as brothers in the Lord and particularly as partners in the ministry and in the founding of many of the first early churches amongst the Gentiles. Antioch was, 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 the, was the chiefest of those churches. After all that history, they would part ways. Barnabas would take Mark. Paul chose Silas. That's what we looked at yesterday in Acts chapter 15, verse 40. And as we discuss, what appeared to be a really sad event was really in truth the plan and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. It was time in many ways, I think, that, uh, that the mentorship of Barnabas uh, with the Apostle Paul had, had, had really reached its end. And Paul was now meant to enter into a new phase of his ministry. And that's what we've been exploring as we head to Athens. It's a 10-year period from from the time that he begins his second missionary journey until he arrives in Athens. And and as he embarked on his mission, uh, he chose Silas. And they set off on their journey. And as we looked at, their journey was, was initially to visit all the churches that the Holy Spirit had used Paul and Barnabas to found uh, when they went on their first missionary journey. And it's really interesting because that first missionary journey, as we said, it lasted over two years. And and I was amazed when I was researching this the other day, uh, refreshing myself with it. Um, they covered on foot in that two-year period over 1,400 miles, which is incredible. So after they parted and Paul chose Silas, <laughs> this is where we come to today in Acts chapter 16. They first came to Lystra and Derby, as it says in verse 1 of Acts chapter 16, verse 1. And, and it's there that we first are introduced to, to Timothy. Paul added to the ministry team uh, this young man, Timothy. And, and they set out from that point, uh, passing through many of the cities 
where they had come to uh, in the in the first missionary journey, and and the Bible tells us um, that they established the churches that were already in existence. They went and strengthened them. They went and visited them. They went and taught to them. And uh, and and what's interesting to me is that those churches three years later were still in existence. It, it shows the the great depth of of the work of the Holy Spirit and 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 the depth that flowed out of Paul and Barnabas's life that three years later as Paul goes back to visit these places they're flourishing they're thriving and and he he returns with Silas taking Timothy with them and they established the churches so that brings us to today and and today we want by the grace of God to see uh what the holy spirit does next we briefly touched on it. There's three incidents that occur in chapter 16. But today we're going to take it to another level by the grace of God because the implications of the historical record we're about to examine, and we're not going to go through all three of them today, but we're going to look at just one of them as we begin uh, today and tomorrow's study. We're going to explore uh, the historical record because the implications of that record are prophetic, and they reach all the way to our time. And if the Holy Spirit allows us to see it, in, this, in what we're about to examine, there is a, a very deep and prophetic metaphor that emerges in the historical account that foreshadows our time. <laughs> You'll see in a second. And, and the prophecies that are revealed in the book of Revelation. As we begin, and, and uh, we, we're only going to look at one, one, one part or one component of this, and so we encourage you to continue to, to stick with us as we go forward in this, because you're going to see some things uh, that are very, very deep and very beautiful in how the Holy Spirit led them. And so I want Brother Jeremy to again read to us, and we're going to begin in Acts chapter 16, and this time, Brother Jeremy, would you read to us verse 5? Through nine. Amen. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia. They essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they passed by Mysia, came down to came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia, and prayed him, saying, "Come over into Macedonia, and help us." Amen. So. <clears throat> Now they've embarked on their journey, and what Brother Jeremy just read, you know, kind of confirms what we were giving a brief overview of yesterday. In verse 5, it talks about the churches being established. So up until this point, they're really visiting places they've already been, territory they've already uh, compassed, uh, visiting brethren that, that were saved under their ministry, under Paul's ministry and Barnabas's ministry over the three years before. Uh, and they, they they plugged in as they're traveling and 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 they're establishing them in the faith in the faith. Uh, more than likely, Paul, you know, is is revealing even more and greater depths of the of the gospel to them, uh, which he has been learning over the last several years. 
And, and, and the proof of this is that the Bible says in verse 5 that they increased in number daily. That's incredible. You know, just as a little side note here, the, the little statements like that, they're indications to us uh, as to just how far we have fallen from the standard of the early church. This is saying that, right? This is saying that they increased in their number daily. And 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 prior to this global lockdown and the shutting of the churches, you know, across our country, I I wonder how many how many churches actually. When was the last time they saw somebody actually added to the church? And 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 were they actually increasing in numbers daily? And were they established in the faith? I wonder. Because you, I I've been in churches over the years where you walk in there and. And, and it's drier than the Mojave Desert, man. <laughs> you know, it reminds yeah. me of that old, that old, uh, that, old uh, that old joke the preacher used to say. Uh, he said he was preaching on Sunday morning, and uh, or he came into a church and and, and it was so dead uh, that that uh, someone had had a heart attack during the service, and they called uh, they called nine one one and they sent the ambulance, and when the when the EMTs rushed into the church. They hauled off five or six people before they actually got to the one who was who had truly died. <laughs> it, it, the church has but, gotten. Go ahead, brother. What are you going to say? You know, we, we we think this because we have big numbers in our church. Most of the, the the adding of the church that takes place today is really it's a recycling of members from other churches that get mad and go to another church, right? And they come yeah. to your church and. What we're talking about, what you're talking about is true conversion. Yeah. I'm talking about somebody who gets saved under your ministry, right? Somebody who truly comes and, and there's and there's fruits given of that. That's the type of, 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 of conversions and the adding of number that was happening, increasing in number. It, it was because of the word, right? Yeah. Uh, right. That's another, that, that's another, um, what do you, that's another sign that we see that it was by the word you know what brings people to our church is we recycle members or what attracts people to our churches are building the comfort right the message right. the compromise the music you know everything but do they come because of the word right so uh no that's that's just a good uh, thing to think about right and so we see the fruit of their the second missionary journey you know as the holy spirit draws our attention to it the churches are established in the faith, and they're increasing daily. Uh, that's an amazing thing, uh, as you said, Brother Jeremy, because uh, it, it's it's a testimony to the to the level of the word that was being produced or given uh, to the churches, as well as the elders. That because we know from from earlier on in our studies how they had ordained elders in every church. You know, so th this is this is this is something that we won't look at in depth today, but just mentioning it. You know, so that we understand uh, what what the real body of Christ is meant to look like. Now, uh, after that, they the Bible tells us in verse six that they had gone through uh, Phrygia and the region of Galatia, which is where the Galatian church was founded. And uh, upon leaving those regions, uh, they intended to go to Asia, but the Bible tells us here in verse six. That they were forbidden, forbidden, strong language of the Holy Spirit uh, to go into Greater Asia. 
So what we are beginning to witness here, and 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 remember what we're going to be talking about today is, is a much deeper thing. So set your your heart into a meditative mode, if you will, a reflective mode here. The Holy Spirit is revealing here uh, an intensity that's being turned up by the Spirit. Up until this point, they're pretty much going where they want what seems logical to them. We go visit the churches we were at before, and now we'll go into the region of Galatia where there wasn't churches and Phrygia and found churches there. We know that from the epistles that they actually founded churches there. But now uh, they, they, they move on and they want to go into a particular geographical territory. But here the language is very strong that the Holy Spirit steps in and now begins to forbid them to go in that direction. And so as, as a student of the word, what we need to do is take note of that. Because something is being expressed. Already there's a shift in the book of Acts here as we head into the depth of the 16th chapter. So we're being told they were forbidden to go. So he's constraining them and moving them in a certain direction. But notice they didn't stop going. They just didn't go where they intended to go, but they were still walking by faith. And verse 7 says, so they came to Mysia, and from there they, they desired to go into Bithynia. But again, <clears throat> the Spirit kind of throws up a roadblock and doesn't allow them to go to Bithynia. So then we come to verse 8. They continue moving on, waiting for direction. But they continue moving. They know they know where not to go. But uh, And so they continue going in, in, in a direction that's not in the place they intended to go, but all the while being led of the Spirit. Now, it says in verse 8, uh, they passed by mission. They came down to Troas. And it's there that the Apostle Paul receives a vision. Brother Jeremy, could you read verse 9 again to us? And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. All right. So here they finally have uh, insight from the Spirit. But I want you to notice something here. Up until this point, they're being led by the Spirit, the inward guidance of the voice of the Spirit, which we talked about yesterday, about being led of the Spirit. But understand that what we are now entering into is the intent of the Spirit. And understand also that the levels of the layers of how we approach the Word of God from, from here on in, is from the layer of, of, of the descriptive language that's giving, being given to us as as St. Luke records the book of Acts here. He's being led of the Spirit to, to, to draw our attention to particular details. Now, up until this point, they've been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go into Asia. Then when they tried to go in Bithynia, the Spirit doesn't allow them to. These are all inward witnesses being led by the Spirit, Spirit to Spirit. But when they come to Troas, <clears throat> it's interesting because the way the Spirit chooses to lead St. Paul at this moment is not by an inward witness. It's not by prophecy. Remember in, in uh, 
in uh, in Acts chapter 13. Turn over there real quick, Brother Jeremy. Acts chapter 13. And 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 and, and in this case, uh, verse two. What does it say? 13:2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, "Separate me, Barnabas." And Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them on their way. So this was a prophetic word that came that inspired the Holy Spirit, an audible word, uh, the prophets talking to Paul and, and Barnabas and, and declaring that it was time for them to embark on their first missionary journey. So that particular direction of the Holy Spirit was given by a prophetic utterance, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, whatever you want to term it as. It was specific direction of the Spirit. But what makes this unique <clears throat> in verse 9 is that this direction of the Spirit, it comes by a vision. It doesn't come by a word. Now, remember, Silas was a prophet. Silas was with Paul. He could have had a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit and said, Brother Paul, I feel the light of the Spirit to tell you this, <laughs> right? But he didn't. So this has to draw our attention to something, and it's important because it's a vision. And, and visions are prophetic. They have more than one intent, and they mean to uh, express something to the discerning, something far more deeper. So it's within this vision that, that the Holy Spirit begins to move, and he appears to Paul in the night. Now, this basically is setting the tone an emphasis to us of of the night. Now, why is that important? Because the nighttime or night in the scripture, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor that represents impending doom or or the dark powers of the earth or or in the in in the context of much of the prophetic scriptures, it represents the end of time. It represents the, uh, the the darkness that will come upon the world. Now listen, uh, so the night, uh, as we're told in the scriptures, uh, that in the darkness is where the children of darkness are, but we're not. We're the children of light. And so the night is, it, it, like I said, is in the scripture. It's a metaphor. It's a prophetic metaphor. It, it sets the tone. It's trying to garner our attention. So so by this, the Holy Spirit sets the tone in a way that, uh, in the way that these events that are recorded, uh, they're meant to alert us to something deeper. Something deeper is about to be revealed to us if we have the eyes to see it. So now, uh, <laughs> having received clear instruction, right, it's in the night, there's this man and he's standing in Macedonia, and he's he's beckoning him to come and help them. And so they set off uh, for uh, for, and they arrive in Macedonia. But where uh, they were led to be within Macedonia, kind of like L.A. or you know, it, you know, like L.A. County. Macedonia was like an L.A. county. You can go to Pasadena. That's in L.A. county, you know, uh, and where they come to is Philippi. So it's kind of like Macedonia is like Macedonia County and Philippi is a city within Macedonia. So that's really where they ended up going. Can you read verse 12 to us, Brother Jeremy? Yes. It says, and from thence to Philippi, 
which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. So where they came to and where they were instructed to go in the vision, in the night, is to Philippi. That's that's what this has all been about. That's what this forbidding to go into Asia was about. That's what this spirit not allowing them to go into Bithynia was about. That's what coming to rest in Troas and then having a prophetic vision in the night given to him uh, was all about. It was to come to Macedonia and it was to come to Philippi, the chief city of Macedonia. And in verse 12, it emphasizes it's also a colony and there they abide certain days. Now, it's it's interesting to look at it and understand where the Holy Spirit led him. He led them to Philippi. Now, what's so important about Philippi? And what is the Spirit communicating to us here in the historical account of what actually happened? We are seeing something quite profound here. See, Philippi was a city uh, that was founded by by the general Philip of Macedon, that's how he's known. It's the territory uh, of Philip of Macedon, that's how he's known. Philip of Macedon uh, was a great general, and he happens to be uh, the father of Alexander the Great. And so where he was directed to go was, and, and as a matter of fact, in Philippi is, and in that general region there, is where Alexander the Great was born. And what we are beginning to see here, and remember, we're talking about the Holy Spirit imposing himself in a very aggressive way that, that takes the great apostle and now appears to him in a vision. In the night, all of these have very much prophetic overtones, and then uh, alerts them to the territory of Macedonia and then brings them to the very city where a foreshadow of the Antichrist, Alexander the Great, was born, a city that was named after his father Philip, Philip of Macedon. Now remember in verse 9, the man of the vision, he's crying out something. He's crying out, help us. So the Holy Spirit drove them to the territory of the birthplace of Alexander the Great. If you have spiritually discerning ears, these are hints, these are keys. Because when you dig deeper into this type of understanding in the scripture, and you go into the layers of what is being portrayed in an actual story here, he declares the end from the beginning and the beginning of, from the end. We see a, an interjection in, as the flow of the book of Acts is occurring to a specific moment when God takes his apostle and brings him to the very territory where Alexander the Great was born. And it is speaking of that one that is yet to come. And, and what, we, what, we can, what, we can, what further can we actually see from this? Well, well let's take a look. Because there's so many things here. One, you have two components here. You have uh, 
the, the chief city of Macedonia, where, from whence the spirit of Antichrist comes, Alexander the Great was born there. And it also says in verse 12 that it's a colony. So what that means and, and what that alerts us to is, is another component of, of, of what the book of Revelation reveals. In that when it says it's a colony, it's referencing Rome or the Roman government because an imperial power is in place, a world global dominating power is in place. So attention is drawn to the birthplace of Alexander the Great, Philippi, and yet it's under Roman control, which is precisely what the book of Daniel reveals and what the book of Revelation reveals is a beast that rises up out of the sea, that exceedingly fierce beast of the book of Daniel. That is the Roman Empire. And yet when, when John sees the beast rising up out of the sea, he has the components of Babylon, the mouth of a lion, the feet of a bear, which is the old uh, Persian Empire renowned for its ability to make laws and, 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 and to implement political change. And he has the body of a leopard, which is representative of Alexander the Great, because the leopard was the symbol of the Greek Empire. But all of it comes under the purveyance and control of that final expression of global domination, which is seen in Rome. <laughs> so you're, wow. you're going to need... What? <laughs> that's what you're man. What you're talking about, it, that's amazing. That's what it is. A colony is... It was called uh, after Octavius had planted yeah. a Roman colony there. That's why it's called a, a colony, where all these veterans lived, right? It's according to yeah. the uh, uh, the meaning of colony there. But that's very powerful. And it's also, yes. you said, the birthplace of Alexander the Great. Yes, and named after wow. his father who founded the city, wow. Philip of Macedon, right? So it's no accident that the Holy Spirit drives the Apostle Paul there. And what's being cried in the vision is, come help us. So it, And it's in the night. These are all metaphors, actual historical account, but metaphoric for our time, because it's revealing something. It's, it's showing the spirit of Antichrist here. It's showing the final beast of the book of Revelation. It's showing the ancient spirit of, of Antichrist, because Alexander really was the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the epitome of, of what, the, of, of what the, uh, of the Antichrist will be. And many believe that he had the blood of, that Alexander was actually part Jewish, in that he had the blood uh, uh, that flowed from the tribe of Dan. But that's for an even deeper study we could do. But I'm just going to throw that out there, and you guys can research it. Because Dan, according to the rabbis, will be the very tribe from whence the Antichrist came. And if you remember, Samson was a part of the tribe of Dan. Samson had seven right. braids, right? Right. Um, right. And 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 they say if you go and look at research of Alexander the Great, there's there's coins that were minted with his image. You'll see that he has long hair in the, in some of those images. And and there are some who believe that he grew his hair long because he knew that he was part Jewish from his mother's side, and that. Remember, Philip had, and this is another interesting thing. Now we're talking probably way over a lot of people's heads, but please take your time, 
pause, go back, listen, dig, because this is this is intense what the Holy Spirit's showing us here. Um, if you, brother if Marty, you your, uh, yes. It, so another thing that we can to help our listeners. Usually, if you have a study Bible or some type of Bible that they have maps in the back of the Bible, these colored maps, very beautiful, and you'll usually find one a map that that explains the journeys of of, of Paul, right? And when you see the map, you can better get a picture of where Paul, you know, he desired to go, Lithuania. Mm. That's towards Asia, you know. But mm-hmm. you see how the Holy Spirit is detouring him to Europe, right? And, and, and as you're bringing about so beautifully, there's a purpose behind that, what God is trying to reveal. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit, instead of going to his right, make him, make him go to his left. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, yeah. and uh, it, it's amazing. If you see a, a map of the of the journeys of St. Paul, you'll be able to see there beautifully how the Holy Spirit, even though the Apostle Paul wanted to go, he was desiring to go to Asia, to the other side, but the Holy Spirit. And I think all of this is connected, Brother Marty, to Acts chapter 1. And somehow, I, I don't know, that's what I sense, when, when uh, you know, when Jesus, as he ascended, he tells them that, you know, that they shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem first. There's an order to it, right? In all of Judea and in Samaria and then unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, he's not specific, you know, uh, I mean, yeah, he says fill the whole earth with the gospel. But there's an order to this that we're seeing, too, how the Holy Spirit intended this to go about. It's not just going out there. Well, let's just throw the net every. No, no, no. There's an order to this. And, yeah. and that's what I. That's another thing that I'm seeing um, as you're speaking. Yeah, and and the prophetic order, is, and, and it really is a prophetic order. Remember, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Spirit of prophecy. Yes. And so, whatever you see happening in the Scripture, which is given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you are you must, as the as a more developed, a mature saint in God, uh, as the Lord leads us prayerfully and humbly, we say such things. Uh, we learn that the depths of prophecy are revealed in every scripture, and 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 and, and some sort of depths of revelation uh, that can be dug up if you understand it in the context of the prophetic scripture as it pertains to the return of the Lord. And so, one of those principles that is given to us, which which is found in the Book of Isaiah, is that God says, "I declare the end of all things from the beginning." And so as we look, and as Paul would later write in the, to the Corinthians, remember the things that happened uh, to Israel we were supposed to study uh, because they had implications, prophetically speaking, for us upon whom the ends of the world have come. Well, that, that, those types of understandings are, are necessary when you apply the lens of prophetic overtones uh, that are found within these accounts. And so what is what is profound here is that it's written plainly as it is, but if you allow the Spirit to show you, what you're actually witnessing here is something being expressed, uh, not only for that generation there, but for the generation subsequently that would be born throughout the last 2,000 years of, of church history coming to rest in the end times. Because what happened to them uh, really is the Holy Spirit in them and moving through them. And so what we're going to see here in a second is who who's here, because this is where God took them. 
They tried to go other places, but he wouldn't let them. It's now specifically that he takes them to the territory that's controlled, as we said, by the Roman Empire, and from whence and where, geographically located, was Philip of Macedon, who fathered his son, uh, the, the, the highest expression of the foreshadow of the Antichrist yet to come, in the city of Philippi. That's where they were. That's where he drew them. And it was in a vision, in verse 9, that, that led them there. So it alerts us that the vision has prophetic overtones, that we need to understand how they came there is hinting to us that this is something more than just mere direction. This is something that is prophetic in nature and has deep overtones for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. And that's why he had it revealed to him in the night. So the second thing we go on from there, can you read to us in verse 13? And on the Sabbath day, excuse me, and on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the woman which resorted thither. <laughs> now I'm really gonna gonna get into this, and and and, uh, and I hope I hope we don't we don't trouble you too much. But I I know you all that have been with us for the last hundred and something broadcasts. You, you, you we all know how we've taken this journey together. So I'm pretty confident you you can see things already. Again, specifics prophetic overtones. They're incredible. And remember, we're being given very precise description here now. So the next thing that our attention is drawn to in a city uh, where, the, where, the, where the spirit of Antichrist was born uh, in, in Alexander, in a colony which is referring us to the Roman Empire, another global empire, it is, it is hinting at the last days type things. And and the next thing that our attention is drawn to is the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day. On a Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is the seventh day, right? <laughs> it's the day <laughs> it's the day that God rests. And so our attention is being drawn to the seventh day. We know that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. So in essence, if you want to look at it from a prophetic point of view, this is representing the seventh millennium. And and so it, it, it seems to be hinting to us that on a Sabbath day, or prophetically speaking, the symbolism of the Sabbath day, notice what it says. It says that they they went out of the city. The city where the Roman Empire is has a colony. The city where a foreshadow of the Antichrist was born, Alexander the Great, our attention is drawn to them going out on the seventh day. And they come out, and 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 what this is hinting to us, as, we, as we'll return to it in a second, is where did they go? They go to a riverside. And what is gathered uh, at the riverside are women. Okay. Let's break this down. So what we're possibly being told here is, is that when the seventh day arrives, which is where we believe we are now, as a matter of fact, 
when we when we went into the 21st century, we entered into the seventh day. We entered into the 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 dawning of the seventh day of human history. We are now entering into the seventh millennium, and and that's been the case since the year 2001. And so we know by those types of you know descriptive accounts that we are nearing uh, the times that have been foretold in in the scripture. So what we find is a situation here that they needed to leave the city and and where they go out on the seventh day out of that city where all those those overtones are the Roman Empire the Alexander the Great all that stuff they come out of the city and they go to a riverside the river is a type of the holy spirit hallelujah <laughs> Uh, if anything, just bear with me because I'll have church today by myself. But but what what's being said here is that that the Holy Spirit is going to be flowing precisely at the time of 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 the of the emerging of the global state and the spirit uh, of Antichrist that will seek to rule the world. But that in order to to find the flow of the Spirit, you're going to have to come out from among them. It's going to be on the seventh day. It's going to be in that time frame where Jesus will come again. But notice what we're being told here is they come out of the city and, and where they go to is the riverside. What's interesting as well is he says, uh, in verse 13, where prayer was wont to be made. What this reveals to us in that statement is that there, and, and you can do your own study as well and find out, there was no established public houses of worship of God there. There were people who worshiped God, but they had no established church. It was It was really out there, you know what I'm saying? This is kind of like territory out there, but... Symbolically speaking, it seems to hint at uh, a, a, a different type of normal, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It's more of a, of a fluid church. It has no set gathering place. And so where it gathers is by the river. The river very much symbolic of the Spirit of God flowing in these times. That's where they go. Hallelujah. There's, there's, <laughs> Glory to God. There's no public house of worship. And again, that, that's alerting us. It should be instructive to us. Do not try and force your way back into the establishment that's been torn down by the Spirit. The whole world has changed. Now, that'll make some of you really uncomfortable because I like my church or I like this or that. Will you be led of the Spirit? I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I am going to warn you. Those highly visible places of gathering, they are all going to come up under the control of Rome, so to speak. They're all going to come up under control of this global reset. And if you want to worship God truly, you're going to have to come out of that city and go find yourself where the river is flowing. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes, yes, yes. So, he says, and look, 
where they come, they come sit by the riverside and uh, and there's women gathered there. Women is a metaphor for churches. See, and, and, and so the women or the churches uh, are gathered there uh, by the riverside. You know, that kind of harkens to that psalm where it says, uh, uh, we hung our harps on the willow tree, right? We sat down by the riverside, there by the river. We hung our harps on the willow tree. Do you remember what psalm that is, brother? In psalm, uh, do you remember? Anybody? Come on, preachers. <laughs> I think it's Psalm like eighty something. I could be wrong. Uh, well, y'all can can look it up later, I guess. But it's really the it, we hung our harps on the willow tree. Can, can you can you look that up real quick? Yeah. Let's um, see. Bear with us. One thirty-seven. One thirty-seven. Thank you, brother. Could you read that to us, brother uh, Fernando? If you can. It says, uh, "By the rivers of Babylon." This first one. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. Yes. So that that's that's an account of the captivity. And they're by the riverside and, and they're hanging their harps. It kind of has a hint of that there. You know, they've been brought up under a captivity of a Roman empire. There is no established houses of worship. And they go and sit down by the riverside. It, it has so many overtones that I don't want to spend a great enormous amount of time talking about it. Other than to say what we are learning by this, prophetically speaking now, those of you who have spiritual ears to receive this, it's the seventh day. And it, and it necessitates them coming out from the city. They, they go in search of where the river is, and that's where they are. The women are metaphoric of churches, and that is where the church will gather, where the river is flowing. And it's not in the city, it's out of it. It kind of harkens to the book of Revelation when, when it says, come out of her, my people, right? <laughs> so So that's where we find them. But then the Holy Spirit draws our attention to one particular woman by the riverside. Can you read that to us, Brother Jeremy, in chapter 16, verse 14 and 15? And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. So now our attention is drawn. Uh, there's many by the riverside at this, at this time. But only one of us, uh, one, one, of this, one of these rivers, I mean, one of these women gets the attention of the Holy Spirit. Because it says she's a certain woman. And what's interesting is that her name, Lydia. Brother Jeremy, can you look up her name? Tell us what it means. Yes. It means uh, of Ludius, right? A, a Christian woman. It means to travail. Travail. Lydia That's right. To travail. 
the travail. So our attention is drawn to a particular woman, or if you want to use the metaphor, the kind of church that draws the attention of the Holy Spirit in this time, Mm. on the seventh day, outside of the city where the river is flowing. It's a particular woman whose name means travail. Now, I looked up where this river is or what the name of this river is and and, and I found out something really interesting because the name of the river is the the Crenides River. K-R-E-N-I-D-E-S. It's the river that flows through Philippi and out of the city and it's where they gathered. What's interesting about that river is 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 the word crenides or crenetes or however you want to say it, it. It literally means the place where where the water springs up or springs multiple springs. It reminds me of what the Lord said. You know, if you ask of me, I'll give you living water. It shall be in you springing up. You know, uh, and, and what's also interesting about this river is uh, it is said of that river that. Uh, that it was filled with gold, that that many, much gold could be found in the tributaries of it. And so all of it is very symbolic, because if indeed what we are witnessing is a unfolding metaphor of of end-time events in the historical narrative that we're looking at, then what we are being told is that in the time of the global empire, the colony, in the time when the spirit of Antichrist is being born, in that time, uh, it, it will be nearing uh, or will be at the time of the Sabbath day, or the seventh millennium, if you will. That, there, that, that it will be such a time that what was normal before, which is established public houses of worship, so forth and so on, at least in this story, there are none. But there are worshipers of God. So the the, the normal of, of, of expression uh, of, of seeking God is in that time uh, going to be uh, such that, that it's not to the building that you go, but to the river. And it has to be outside of the city. That's mm-hmm. what verse 13 uh, and uh, 12 and 13 talks about, that they went out of the city. God is calling a people out of the system. And it's something I think that why the Holy Spirit has had us in the book of Acts is what he's continually trying to emphasize to us is that things have changed and that we are being, uh, we are being returned to book of Acts-like experiences. And a chief component of that is that the church itself is guarded and protected by the Holy Spirit but it's an undefinable, indistinguishable thing. You can't point to Fourth and Main and say, oh, that's where the first church of the Christians are. You can't say that. Uh, What's happening is that the church is being brought for its own protection out of the system, removed from it, and they're hearing the, the, the flow of the Spirit directing them so, and it's to them that Paul and Silas and Timothy come. It's to them, representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the way, it's to them that the Spirit of Christ is coming in this hour. It's a re 
organization of the true church. And it's at a specific time that these events take place. Now, Lydia is a specific certain woman. She's a metaphor for a particular type of church. It is a church that is in travail. And, and what it speaks of is last day type things. If you remember in our series on Ezekiel, just before the judgment was sealed within the spirit, the angels were told to go through the city and to mark them who what who sigh and travail for all the abominations that they see taking place in uh, in this city and amongst the house of God and everything that was going on. Well, it's that same kind of feeling. Our attention, even though there's multiple women, it's a particular woman to whom Christ will come in this hour. It is a travailing woman. It is one that is longing to give birth to something. It is desiring for something to be born. It, it, it hearkens to Hannah, right? You know, she, 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 she travailed in the spirit. She, she brought forth a Samuel. You know, it hearkens to those kinds of women in the scriptures that represent a true church. She is Lydia. She's a travailer. She's an end-time church calling with the spirit on her heavenly Lord to come and rescue her. And indeed, Paul is drawn Silas, Timothy, all of them, they come, they represent the Lord. They come to her. Notice her quality. She's, she's, <laughs> she's one who uh, deals in purple. She trades in purple. She, she, she has purple cloth because it represents the quality of who she is. She's royalty. Purple is the color of the king. Purple is symbolic in the Bible of the king, of royalty. She is a seller of purple. She is both a travailer and, and royal. She, she, she deals in purple cloth. Uh, it represents her Lord. This is to who God is bringing his spirit and the spirit of his son. In, and, and we see that here in the form of Paul and Silas. And where she's from is the city of what? Thyatira. Now remember this, when you get into the book of Revelation and you read, uh, there is a church uh, from the city of Thyatira, and I encourage you to go read that in your own time, but you'll read uh, from chapter uh, Revelation 2, it starts around verse 18, uh, what what was going on in Thyatira uh, is, is the spirit of Jezebel was there. And, and, and the spirit of Jezebel was teaching the church and seducing the church into fornication and adultery and the depths of Satan, by the way, it goes on to say. So with scripture to scripture, knowing that Lydia has come out of Thyatira, it speaks of a church separated from that very spirit of seduction. Plugged in by the river, which is famous for its gold and its multiple springs of clear water, a Holy Spirit type reference, out of the city, on the seventh day, attention of the Holy Spirit drawn to that travailing church who who deals in purple, who really you know, who who's really the royal bride of Christ in these last days. And in some components, if you want to look at it from a from another prophetic point of view, she could also represent the end time uh, Israeli church, right? But that's for another day. But she worships uh, God. And I have a question. Can she be, can we consider her the first convert of Europe? <laughs> you know, in, in well, many ways. But the com that's what the commentaries say. 
but okay. you know, but that's the uh, that I mean, but if you, you want to look at it in a purely uh, symbolism, yeah, yeah sim- sim- symbolically, symbolically, yeah, it carries a lot of weight. Represent well to me. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with that, but I will say what the way the spirit of the Lord has been teaching me over the last several years, she represents um, the end time church in the tribulation. You know, uh, yes, that territory was Europe, uh, which is what what most theologians like to point to. But what we're talking about here today, you won't find it in the commentary. <laughs> this is this is this is this different, okay? This is this is multi-leveled and layered understanding here, and uh, and yes, it is the it, it, we don't know if she's the first convert in, in in you know there, but but her our, our attention is drawn to her, and metaphorically and prophetically speaking, uh, she is a travailing church, a royal church, and and she has come out from Thyatira, she has removed herself from the city of Philippi, and from the colony of Rome. It's very symbolic, and 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 uh, she has removed herself as well from the doctrine of the seduction of the church. That's why Thyatira is mentioned there, I believe. And the Bible says all these components flowing in these last days as we're looking at it, uh, it says that the Lord opens her heart, right? Verse 14, she worships God, she hears, and and, and, the, and the Lord himself opens her heart, and she hears the words that Paul speaks. Uh, so to me, that's a revelation being given to this end time church. Her her whole house goes on to be saved, right, Brother Jeremy? In verse fifteen, what happens? Yes. And when she was baptized, and her household, she besought us, saying, "If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there." And she constrained us. So what we see there again is is her whole house is saved and 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 i wanted to bring some encouragement as the spirit of god gave it to me this morning because what he wanted me to say to our listeners was was this is this is the time where your prayers are about to be answered it doesn't matter this that or the other what is what the lord is concerned about is you and and understand this he's coming to you and and your obedience to him and your desire to worship him, these qualities of travail, which represents your prayers and intercession, Lydia, that's what she means, uh, for your loved ones, for for the coming of the Lord, and you know, just go down the list for your neighbors, whatever, whoever God has burdened you, you that son, that daughter, that husband, whatever it may be. Uh, what we see in this also is a hint at the entire household being saved. So, so understand that as we enter these days that are just ahead of us, and we're well into them, this global uh, empire that's seeking to enslave the world as we speak, this global reset, the move toward the removing of borders and uniting the whole world, the restructuring of the economic system, the the shutting down, and and subsequently the the uh, the the anger directed toward the church has already begun. And 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 God is calling a people out from them, a group of Lydia's, you know, a group of travailers. And what he's promising is that even though these days which have been foretold have begun, yet it is it is what what Paul saw in his vision. It was the cry of the man in Macedonia who said, help us. 
And so he sends Paul, a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who comes into this territory. He's sending his spirit to you. Christ is coming to you. And me and 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 also we have here a hint at a promise of everyone in our house is going to be saved. That that the climate, remember what the Bible teaches us, where sin abounds, grace does more much more abound. God is going to answer your prayers. He is going to save your loved ones solely based on your dedication and consecration and travail before him. He loves us that much. Remember, when Rahab was saved, when the walls of Jericho came down, she was told to hang a scarlet thread from her window and to go gather all her family and bring them into the house. She had the promise they reap the benefit. And so God reveals consistently throughout his word that when these times arrive, and they have arrived, begin to expect that your whole house is going to be saved because it will be so. And so that's what we see. Coupled with revelation, revelation's about to be given to us at a level that we have not known before, and it is God that's going to open our heart and cause us to see and understand things at levels we never understood before. It is just like it's going to be now. Understand, she was given great privilege because what happens then is that God comes into her house, right? Now, that reminds me when you get to the end of verse 15, it, it hearkens to something because it says she constrained them to come into their house, right? Brother Jeremy, could you read right. to us? The Gospel of St. Luke, verse 28 and 29 of chapter 24. Yes. 24, 28. Here we go. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. Amen. So we see uh, there they constrain the Lord to come in. Lydia is doing the same thing. She constrains the Lord to come into their house. Notice in Luke's account, it's a resurrected Jesus, and and it's it's toward the evening. It, it, again, it's a descriptive, metaphoric understanding. Uh, as the sun is setting and darkness is approaching, we will need to constrain the Lord into our house. He will come to those who lay hold of him. That's why she represents a travailing church. She constrained them to come in their house, and they did. Understand, in these days that are approaching, you know, all that was foretold has begun. I'm not even backing up from it anymore. I know. Now, whether it's five years, 10 years, I don't know, but I know it's begun. I've been in this long enough, 30 plus years. I've traveled the world, read the scriptures since I was 14 years old. I know the times and the seasons we're witnessing right now, and they are not like any other time before us. Days have begun, and there is a church of travail. There is a Lydia church that's emerging and to her the Lord is coming, just like Paul came to Lydia. And he will abide uh, in your house, in my house, 
in everyone's house constrains him. Now, today was an introduction, and for some of you, this is this is really a difficult thing to hear, in the sense that you're not familiar with this kind of of understanding. I'm I'm speaking very spiritually to you by the grace of God, humbly so, I pray, and understand that that we are witnessing uh, the unveiling of Scripture uh, in our time uh, that that is unique. And and he's he's revealing things to us so that we'll know how to navigate ourselves. He's coming to us. We're witnessing what the prophets always said would happen. The framework is well laid. The foundation for it all has been laid over the last several decades. When you woke up on January first, twenty twenty, none of us would could have ever imagined how the entire world had changed. But here we are 10 months later, and it's almost as if you're just waiting moment by moment for what next is going to happen, man. But that's okay, because God's children are coming out from the city, so to speak, and we're going to camp by the river, brother, and the Holy Spirit is flowing. So the first thing we see is a preparation and a drawing out of a true church. She will uh, be by the river that flows and that is filled with gold. It's, it's, it's all so symbolic. She is a person who wraps herself in purple. She's royal, and her, her desire is for her king. She is one who travails and worships God. And to her, her heart will be open and revelation will be given. And the Lord will come to her and and and, and plant himself and abide himself in her house because she's constrained him to do so. This is the beginning as we're heading into these days of tribulation ahead of us. Tomorrow, another woman appears. And we'll explore what she means and and why she's significant. Because she's a woman and she's filled with the spirit of divination. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Because that is who Paul and Silas will encounter next. And if you know your scripture, really, I'll just give you a hint. She is a type of of that that woman of Babylon. She is the spirit of Babylon. And we're going to see, as the Holy Spirit allows us, uh, the great depths of, of what he's unlocking in the book of Acts as we journey with Paul to Athens. They had to encounter this woman with the spirit of divination. But then comes a persecution and a midnight. And we'll talk about all those things tomorrow by the grace of God. Paul and Silas sang at midnight. It's going to be the greatest, most glorious thing we've ever experienced because the coming of the Lord is at hand. We pray that you've been blessed. We pray you've been stirred at least to study and to consider these things as we continue our journey with Paul. Even so, come quickly, Lord, is our prayer. Brother Jeremy. Amen. What a delight today and what a what a what a uh, study and to look at these things in the way we were able to do it prophetically and to those who are <laughs> being guided, these things are, are, are coming uh to you and, and you're beginning to understand things maybe that a few weeks, a few months you couldn't by the spirit of God, 
We're beginning to understand the prophetic, and we thank God for this. And we pray that you join us tomorrow as we continue on our journey to Athens. May God bless you. May God keep you. And as always, keep looking up.